The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. This is going down. Let's see if we can pull this back up. This is a Father's Day prank, isn't it? If this will stay up. I don't think it will. Alright. I'm going to switch. Can someone just grab me another one? Shane, can you grab me another one? This one's going to keep falling, I think. In uh, 1998, I became a Christian. I, uh, I went to... Thank you. I went to a, a party in which... That's all right. That's all right. I'll do it myself. Uh, in which a friend of mine uh, said to me, you're in a really, really bad place. Come to church. So for some reason in my stumbling, drunken state, I went, okay. He convinced me that there were some attractive women there. So um, I thought I'd go. So I went, I met some incredible people who still to this day are some of our best friends. And I had an accident, a car accident, about two months into going to this church. And this this car accident changed my life. Um, I lost my license for 12 months. I had to see a probation officer once a week for 12 months. Got my fingerprints, mugshot taken, put in a cell. And for 12 months, my life was catching buses catching trains, and in this 12 months, God radically changed my life. At this point, before this accident happened, I'd already started reading other ancient texts and writings. I was exploring this God who I was hearing about at this church, and I was not yet convinced that He existed or that He was knowable. And so, as I had this accident and now I was sitting on buses and trains, I eventually caved in and said, I probably should start reading this book. Over the next three months, I read this book from front to back. was compelled by the story that it was pretty impressive. And then I got stuck on a particular part of the story about this figure, this person named Jesus, whether he really died on a cross and rose again. Because if that's true... That changes everything. So then I read a whole lot of books around how this particular book was put together and whether I could trust it, and particularly around the concept of the resurrection of Jesus and whether there was decent evidence for that or not. Over this period of 12 months, I became convinced that Jesus really did exist, that He was who He says He was, that He was going to do and did do all that He had said He would, namely that He went to a cross He died for the sins of the world. He rose again to new life so that those who would believe could have eternal life with Him. The stuff in this book that I read just blew my mind about this particular God. That He was unlike anything else I had read. I read the Quran. I read parts of the Hadith. I read other ancient texts. And there was no one like this particular person. So I started to tell my friends about this particular person. I started to tell family, 
work colleagues, those who I went to uni with. And one day I got invited to do my first ever public talk. A mate of mine, the very one who told me to pull my head in and come to church, he invited me to come and speak at his life group. And so I went to this life group, I shared my story, and then I encouraged all of those that were at this life group that they should love Jesus and they should tell everyone about him. Then I got pulled aside by a leader of that church who came and pulled me aside and told me to calm down. And said to me, you need to stop preaching so much because people don't want to hear about the book. They just want you to be their friends. I was confused. I was like, but it's awesome news. I want to tell everyone about him. And he said, listen, it's not that you can't tell people about Jesus. It's just that you need to go through the process. You need to do friendship evangelism. You need to go through all these steps. And over a period of however many years, eventually get to the point where you can tell them about Jesus. So I was confused. Literally three weeks later, my wife and I, we weren't married then, but we were dating. We went to uh, the year 2000 big day out. Still to this day, the best lineup of any big day out that's ever existed. Uh, We had red hot chili peppers. We had Jebediah, Foo Fighters, Nine Inch Nails, Spider Bait. uh, Who else? We had Grinspoon. I mean, we just had literally... Uh, as much as I loved Carly, I didn't love her that day. I just loved everything I was hearing. Uh, Blink-182, everyone. And I sat there this day, and Carly and I, you know, we're sweaty, we're messed up. And at the end of the day, I realized every single band had just preached to me. And no one was telling them to shut up and to make a friendship with me before they told me what they believed was true. I'd been preached to by every single band their worldview. Yet no one was saying that they had to make friends with culture and society and spend this time and go through this process. And so I, after that day, said, stuff, particular leader guy. I'm going to get back to telling everybody about Jesus. Because if Jesus really died on a cross and rose again, then what else really matters? What else is there? This is essentially what is happening here in this book. Paul is this old figure of the faith. He is having his last moments of his life and he is writing to Timothy in the wider church to say to them, listen, there's a whole bunch of things that matter, but ultimately really one thing matters and that is his name is Jesus and he really died on the cross, he really rose again and you need to be about that. Yes, you need to consider the context and the culture in which you live. Yes, you need to consider your neighbors. You need to love them. But ultimately, what you need to do is you need to get about this book and start holding it up and holding it out so people can find out about the Jesus of the book. And this is the last thing that Paul is telling Timothy. These are literally the last words of a dying man is, I don't care about this or that. You don't need to change your system. You don't need to change what you do. Know the book, read the book, study the book, live the book, and tell people about the person of the book. So this is the cry of a spiritual father to a spiritual son. Timothy? preach it. So it's really, really weird that I've got to preach a sermon about a guy telling another person to preach a sermon. It's kind of a really weird dynamic. But there's so much in here that we need to be reminded of. 
So I want to go through four things that I think we see here, but I want to spend most of our time around this idea of preaching the Word. You with me? So number one is the authority of the charge. Have you ever had someone start a sentence with, hey, remember when I did that thing for you and you promised that you would return a favor or that you would owe me one? Or when your wife says, hey, you do love me, right? Whatever comes after those words is like, oh, okay, I'm kind of manipulated to some degree here. Uh, Something is coming Maybe when you sat down as a, as a kid at the family table and your parents gave you that big like family talk, hey, you know who's working, you know who's paying for all this, the lights, the food, the table, that you, the chair you're sitting in, all of this stuff, you know who's putting this to you, right? Okay, in light of that, stop being a turd. Be grateful, little man, little girl, because you know, we do all this for you. Stop being a little brat, start doing what you were told. This is what <laughs> all the dads are like, amen. Uh, this is what Paul says, I charge you. Not in the fact that I'm your spiritual father, not in the fact that I've poured my life out for you, but in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, whatever comes after this <laughs> really matters to Paul. There's no bigger sort of solemn trump card. In light of the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, do this thing. What's he saying? He's saying, Timothy, in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is present with you now, here, live your life in light of that, and in the fact that one day you will meet him again, Live your life in light of that. In the presence of God, do this thing. We love the beach. We love camping as a family. And one of the things that we do for our kids when they first went to the beach uh, is that we would always stay between the flags and we would teach them, hey, there are two things you need to look at in life. Flag number one is over here. Flag number two is over here. Get your eyes on both of those things and in these waters which want to take you and sweep you away, you'll be okay. So the kids know, not while you're right right out the back do you start. I mean, our kids keep doing this. You've got to tell them a million times and then they're like trying to go against the current. It's like, oh my gosh, it takes me five hours to get back into the middle and then four seconds later they're back over here. It's like, no, no, you come all the way to the beachhead, you come up and then you get on the sand and you go again. And they do this for 15 hours and then they still whinge it wasn't long enough. That's when I remind them, remember the table you're sitting at? Remember the chairs? Buckle up. Sort yourself out. The Christian, we have two flags. We have the flag of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on a cross. Death, burial, resurrection. Bang. Look at the flag. And we have another flag. You're going to come and meet him one day in glory. You're going to be with Jesus. Keep your eyes on both ends. Keep your eyes between the two flags and in the oceans that are trying to sweep you away in this world, you'll be all right. In the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, keep your eyes on him. We sung this this morning. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Look forth in his wonderful face to the things of earth 
will grow strangely dim. This is what he's saying to Timothy. Timothy, keep your eyes on Jesus. Church, we are living in a time where everything is vying for our attention. Everything is trying to get our eyes off these two flags and to put them on other things. And some of us, because of the nature of the the time we live in, we're feeling scared. And our heart is being filled with fear. Do we do this? Or do we do that? What if this? What if that? And the Bible says, get your eyes on Jesus who died for you and rose again for you and took care of you 2,000 years ago, then he promises, in however many years until you get there, he'll look after you then, so now trust him that he'll look after you now. Some of us are concerned with the constant changing culture, the shift in sexual ethics, the ever-changing gender ideologies, the issues of race, the pandemic, to get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. And what the Bible says is look to Jesus. Make your life, make your focus, let your heart come to Jesus because only then will you be free to do what Jesus tells you to do. So he has told Timothy, Timothy, you are not to be like filled with fear. That's not the spirit which God has given you, but a a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. Church, when you look to Jesus, despair goes away, guilt goes away, shame goes away, fear goes away, joy fills the heart, peace fills the heart, love fills the heart. Can I encourage us as a church, let's be a church that looks to Jesus. And then he gets to the charge. Now, in light of this, because your eyes are on Jesus, he gives him nine imperatives. But really, it's one. It's just preach the word. He has said in this book, in this particular book of 2 Timothy, 1 verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony about God. 1.13, follow in the pattern of the sound words. 2.2, that you are to present this teaching to, to many people and trust it to many different men so it would be passed on. 2 verse 8, where we're to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead as preached in his gospel. 2 verse 9, remember that while Paul was bound in change, that his word, God's word, is not bound. 2.14, Uh, that he is to remind and charge the church of these things, that they would know them, that he is to present himself to God as one who rightly handles the word of truth. He is to following the teaching that Paul has been handing to him, and despite the suffering that he will experience from outside the church in culture, inside the church because of false teaching, that he is to continue to trust in the book, because it is the only thing that can make him wise for salvation is the only thing that it can equip him and now he is to preach it. In other words, we're not just to know it. We're not just to read it. We're not just to live by it. We're to tell others about it. We're to share it. We're, let, we're to let this thing fly to the world because these are the only words that can do what Paul has said it can do. Now, I don't know about you, but I've realized something about our culture. We live in a time where opinions really matter, particularly yours. 
mine. My, my opinion about the thing I've never studied nor have any expertise in, but I think I do, I'm going to let you know. The thing that I'm not equipped in, but man, I got like 280 little things here that I can write about. I learned this just over the last five years of Keller's life. I had the privilege of having one day a week with my youngest daughter. I didn't get to have that with the first three, but my youngest one. And the amount of people who would just give me their opinion. I remember she was like about 17 years old, even though she's five. And I'm, I'm walking around, she's eating an apple, and, and some lady just comes up and goes, hmm, do you think it's a good idea that she's eating an apple? You know what happens to children who eat apples. Tell me, wonderful lady, they die, you know. It's just like, and then another person told me that the way I was holding her wasn't right and this could happen to her hips, like mums, so you, you kind of know. Like, hey, if, if you're in this church and you get engaged, opinions. You're planning a wedding? Opinions. You're thinking about getting married? Opinions. You're going to change a job? Opinions. You're going to, you know, have kids? Opinions. Let me tell you. <laughs> Timothy, don't tell people your opinions. I heard a guy once say that opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got them. They just stink. <laughs> Nobody cares about your opinion, Timothy. Nobody cares about your wisdom, Timothy. What you need to tell people is God's word. Tell people the truth. Preach the word. What does he mean when he says preach the word? Well, the context tells us. Uh, Gareth last week, uh, in, in his passage, had it finished with, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Right? This is the idea that for Timothy, the scriptures there is primarily talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Genesis all the way through to Malachi. But then after this, he tells us that for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine. And so he tells him, what you need to do is get on with preaching the truth. 2 Timothy 1, 10 to 11, he says, this is what it is. And which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, which I appointed you as a preacher, which I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle. He's saying, preach the Old Testament, preach the New Testament in such a way that it points to Christ. That's what he means by the word. He doesn't just mean the actual words of the Old Testament or the actual words of the New Testament. He means the words in a specific way, in a particular way, that actually tell people that the story of God, the gospel. So Timothy is to have, in one sense, a finger on the book and another finger pointing to Jesus. Church... This is all of us. We're to have a finger in the book and a hand in the book and a heart in the book and an eye in the book and another one that's just pointing to Jesus and telling people about Jesus. Spurgeon was once criticized because all of his sermons sounded alike. His sermons just sound the same. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon... My wife wouldn't let me call my kids any of those names, even though I tried hard. Said this, he said, well, of course they do. 
I preach the text and as quickly as I can, I make a straight line to Christ because that's what makes a sermon. So every sermon should sound the same. In other words, the Christian is to be a band with one song and we just play it over and over and over again. Some of you, you're here and you get sick of hearing about Jesus. Not sorry. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. We have to because what else is there? I can tell you the five steps to this and the 20 steps to that and the four things to that. But if you don't get Jesus, you don't have the power to do any of that. It's not that those things are bad. We, we as a church, we do sermon series like this. We do some topical series. We think those things matter. But even in that, we're trying to always point to Jesus. Psalm 19, it talks about the Bible in this way. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. And for the vegans in this world, whatever the placement is for that nutlex i don't know <laughs> moreover moreover by them is your servant warned and in keeping them there is great reward i can give you a thousand books that are good and helpful there's not another book which actually revives your soul i've had moments when i've opened up this book and read things and my soul has come alive i've had moments where i'm filled with anxiety and despair And I don't think I can get out of bed. And then this book was read to me and my heart was filled with hope. The the darkness that was over me at points in time, I've told this story many a times. My wife would read me a psalm every single day when I was stuck in bed. She would just keep reading me and reading me and reading me. She could have read me any novel. She could have read me any book. Unaffected habits of a great leader. She could have done all these things. There's one book that when it got into my heart, it went, ah, there's hope. No other book has given me peace. No other book has given me joy. If they are, it's fleeting. Spurgeon on his deathbed said this, he says, my theology is now found in four little words. Jesus died for I don't say this as if this is all I would preach if I were to be raised up again, but it's more than enough for me to die upon. I don't say this lightly, but part of my job as a pastor preacher is to prepare you for that day. Not just to prepare you for tomorrow, but to prepare you for that day when you will meet the Lord. And that you can say, Jesus died for me. And God would welcome you home. And then he says to him all these imperatives. Timothy, you need to be ready in season and out of season. In other words, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. You know when you're going really, really good in life and you're feeling great with God and then you want to be a bit more confident, a bit more bold because you're going good? Great. But also on the day when you don't feel good. You know the day when you feel like a hypocrite and you don't actually live what you say you believe? Even on that day, share. 
See, if we truly understand the gospel, we realize that this message isn't about us and whether we're going great or not. The power of this message is not in us and whether we're living it or not. Even though we're exhorted to live it, the power actually of the message is not the messenger, it's the message. It's God. So you can be having a terrible day, like having all sorts of stuff and conflict in your heart, and then all of a sudden somebody comes to you in a moment, and you just in that moment go, look man, i got nothing for you other than tell you this. Jesus loves you. He died on a cross for your sins. I literally had that this week. I was in a moment where I had my eyes on other things and was thinking about other things, and someone had a panic attack right in front of me. And they were crying. This is a grown man who just starts bawling his eyes out in front of me. And so I just held the man, brought him in, because I'm like, I've done this a million times. I know this thing. Come on here, bro. Let's hug it out and make it even more awkward. (laughs) I just prayed with him. And then he was a Christian man. I knew that, but I just gave him the gospel again and said, I don't know what to tell you right now. I don't have the words of wisdom, but here's what I know. God loves you. God is with you in this moment right now. He has not abandoned you. He has not neglected you. He is near to you right in this moment. And so we hugged it out. As weird as that was, we prayed. And then you know what? He lifted up his eyes and the last few tears were there. And he's like, man, I feel way better. Remember, armpits stink. My armpit was all up in that sucker. It was not a good, comfy moment. It wasn't, it wasn't this beautiful sort of oh, moment. It was awkward. It was weird. But God spoke good news to a man's soul that needed to hear it in a moment. This is happening every single day of our lives. There are people who need to hear about Jesus. We must be about the word. Then he says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The reproving is to correct error, but in a way that is using reasonable arguments. It's thoughtful. It's not just like just this tap on, hey, the Bible says so. It's like, no, no, we're explaining it. We're sort of saying, here's why I believe it. Here's the reasonableness behind it. There's the rebuking. This is the, the straying conscience that's sometimes like, hey, man, don't go that way. Don't do that thing. Please don't walk away. And there's the exhorting of the giving hope to the weary and the discouraged. And then he says, with complete patience and teaching. I remember when I first started off in ministry, I loved the preaching part. It's like, oh, yeah going to get up there, take that real serious, spend time praying, get all the stuff. And I neglected that he's not just charging him to preach the word, but also to do it with patience. Because then I'd preach and I'd be like, why aren't you changed? That just took me 50,000 hours to put together. It was the most dynamic thing in the world. You should walk away now. Different. And then everyone would come back the next week pretty much the same. And I'd be like, I'll do this again? How many, how many of these? Oh my gosh. And then goes three hours and hours and hours. And you're like, I thought I could just preach one hoorah and everyone's just different. This thing sucks. <laughs> preach the word. It's like, no, no, preach. Preach the word. Be about word ministry. Be about the gospel. But remember, be patient. Because this thing takes time. Some of you, you have a history, you have stuff that you struggle with, and you, uh, you have come to God in, in this sense of hope that He will change you, but you get disappointed because He hasn't done it in the moment. That you're still struggling with that thing, or you're still experiencing that suffering, or whatever, and you forget that this thing is a journey. 
So you've got to be patient with God. Be patient with yourself. We have to be patient with one another. Keller is five. She is not 22, so I need to treat her as though she is five. Right? And then I'll treat her as six. And then one day, which will never happen, some man's going to try and marry her, and I will get the gun, and I will say, it's my right to carry. I'm an American, so, you know. Leaders in the church, those of us who lead life groups and ministries, we need to be patient with people. Why are they always like that? Why are they still like that? Why don't they get this? Let's be patient. Those of us who are parents, we understand this. You have to teach your kid over and over and over again. That's not how you eat. That's not how you talk. I love this is something that I didn't get, and I think I'm starting to get, that we need to be patient with ourselves, with each other, because God is the most patient being in the world. So let's be a church that is about the book, that is about the gospel, and that extends grace to people to allow them a journey to grow. There can be some people who come into the life of this church and they're going to be with us for 10 years before they even take a step of faith. Let's be a church that says that's okay. There's going to be some who come in and they've got a journey of unlearning trying to navigate and work stuff out. Let's be a church that says, that's okay. This is a safe place to grow. And you all better change after this sermon. I'm telling you right now. The reason for the charge is this, because for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or doctrine, but having itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Why is this so important? Because you and I are all prone to wonder. I love being told how good I am. When my wife affirms me, when my kids affirm me, when people in the church affirm me, I am flying high. I love that. I feel, yeah, it's just so I didn't quite hear it. Just Say it again, just one more time, but just, you know, like, tell me what you really mean, you know? It's like, I love being told when Carly says, you did a great job, I'm always like, yeah, but how good a job did I do, babe? You know, like, how, like, what, what particularly did you like about this? Like, tell me more. Our culture is telling everybody, you're awesome. You're amazing. In fact, I went to the shops just this week. I went to Westfield to buy Keller a book. We've been doing some, you know, looky books, find the thing books. And I went, I think I've got a slide for you. And as I was looking for a book for her, if we can go to the next slide, there was a book right next to the book that I got her, which is Be Your Own Man. And I thought, yeah, that's right. I'm going to go home and tell my wife, I'm my man. (laughs) Be your own man. And then as I walked past Universal, I saw this store, which is like, make your own lane. And I realized, again, just as I'm looking book to give to my daughter so we could spend 10 minutes a night before she goes to bed just trying to find little animals, the culture is preaching to me, you be you, you do you, you worship you, you serve you, you sit on the throne, you're awesome, you're amazing. Nobody wants to hear, no, you're not. You have sin and you need a savior. Don't tell me that. That's bad news. No, no, you need to hear that you're broken and you need to change. 
some of the ways that you think are wrong. Some of your, your heart and your disposition towards people, it's antithetical to God. You need to change. No one likes to hear that, but the Bible tells us, listen, there is good news, but there is also bad news. And the good news is only as good as the bad news is bad. The bad news is that we stand before a holy God who is perfect and we are imperfect. And we need something to be done to fix the gap between us and God. And then enters the good news. And his name is Jesus. And he has done this for you so that you can walk into the throne of God with confidence and boldness. But you cannot do that by you being you. By being your own man or being your own woman. You can only do that if you turn to him, repent, and put your faith in him. And then he will stand before you and mediate between you and God. Tim Keller says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshipping an idealized version of yourself. As I read this book, there are things in this book that I absolutely loved. And there are other things that I did not love. A particular verse that I absolutely still to this day don't love is husbands. Love your, your wives as Christ loved the church. I'm like, baby, I love you. By dying for her, What? I didn't hear about that by her making me breakfast and stuff, isn't it? You know, her doing all things. There's verses in here. I'm like, it tells me on how I am to live my life. I don't want to be told how to live my life. I want to live my life. And God says, no, no, no. There's only one God and I'm him. And I've made you a certain way. I've designed you a certain way. And I'm calling you to live a certain way. And the good news is that when you fall and when you fail, I will do something about that and bring you back to myself. And then I'll give you my spirit and I will help you to continue to do that so that you don't quit and you don't give up. God is good. And God is there to save us. Revelation 12, there's a story of the enemy, the serpent, the dragon, who is unleashed on the world. And it says there that he is accusing. He's trying to destroy the people of God. And it says, I think it's verse 11, it says, But they overcome this enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, seen in the fact that they did not even hold their lives. It's a sense in which we overcome this enemy. We overcome the fear, the anxiety, all the things that you and I experience by putting our eyes back on Jesus and going, listen, I've got nothing but Jesus. And I overcome this world. I overcome these things by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of who God is for me. And notice that the warning is not to the teachers. It's to those who are hearing, who only want to hear what they want to hear. It looks good. It sounds good. It scratches the itch of making me feel good. And Paul says, Timothy, have nothing to do with it. Church, have nothing to do with it. If all we ever hear is this wonderful, beautiful news, it's possibly not wonderful, not beautiful. And then lastly, as the band come up, he finishes with this personal charge. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. This is going to be hard. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Gareth last week talked about integrity and the importance of integrity. I love how it always points back. Have you ever used the Bible as a mirror? That is, when you read it, you see yourself. 
You're kind of like, oh, that's talking to me. Have you ever used the Bible as a set of binoculars? Oh, that's talking about them. Like, for example, have you ever sat in a sermon and gone, I really wish Jane was here? That would have been awesome for her to hear. Or, man, I wish Bob was here because Bob really needed to hear that one. Or you're reading it as a pastor. You're reading it you're like, oh, I can't wait to preach that. This is my temptation. Oh, man, that's good. That's, it's like, no, 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 you need to stop. Hold it up as a mirror and go, where are we at with the Lord? Not where is everybody else at? Why isn't such and such here at church? Why isn't such and such at life group? Don't worry about it. Where are you? Timothy, where are you? All this ministry stuff I'm encouraging has for you, my friend. Be sober-minded. Think clearly. Endure suffering. This is going to be hard, but stay the course. Remember Jesus. Keep telling people about Him. Be that evangelist and fulfill the ministry. What is the ministry? It's just telling people about Jesus. So church, I don't know where you all are. I know where some of us are. I know where I am. I want to ask you this question as we finish up today. Where are we? Where are you? What is consuming your heart and mind when you're laying your head down at night on a pillow? What are you thinking about? And can we today just be reoriented for a moment to bring our hearts and our minds back to two flags that Jesus died on a cross for our sins 2,000 years ago and rose again to new life so that we could be free from Satan, sin, and death. And he promises us and the other flag that he is going to hold us and bring us to the end. And now in this moment, stay with him, trust him, live for him, enjoy him. Don't let the culture freak you out. Don't let the current climate in which we are swimming in sweep us away. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then we're going to sing. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.